people here, just be honest, we are not kooky. How many people here have ever looked for a sign about something spiritual? Yeah, man, we've all done it, right? Signs, signs of the time, signs, whatever. You know, we look at in the stars or whatever. And uh, some people, whether the weather changes the way they want it to go, or some people look for it from other people. Some people look at it for, from dead relatives. Have you ever had that happen? People talking to you, I don't ever know what to say. You know, they're like, I was thinking about my mammal, and God gave me a sign. Like, well, what was that? Man? You know, well, I knew she was with me. Her favorite bird flew by and doo-dooed on my head, man. You know, just I knew it was her. I'm like, what kind of family traditions that you have growing up? And that's awkward. That's that's what brings, that, that doesn't bring anything. That brings frustration. But we just, we look for these things to kind of validate, you know, just hopefully validate our, our situation or, Something we want to happen, and they're you know, people do it all the time. A guy on 265 gave me a sign the other day, and uh, I didn't know what that meant until he rode by with the Jesus sign. When I thought he's telling me there's one way to heaven, man, what a great what a great witness for Jesus, right? God does give signs in the Bible. He does get he has given end time signs. He doesn't give signs for us to be held hostage with them. He doesn't give signs for every every little thing written in the Bible. He doesn't give signs to prove the Bible's true. Did you know that? They're more like highlight markers. They're kind of reminders of a certain place or reality. God does use them for confirmation. That's not his primary mode, I don't think. And some of us believe that it is. We feel real unspiritual if everything's not confirmed by this monumental, earth-shaking sign. So there's this tension that that there, you know, there are signs, but that God's not necessarily going to give them for everything. I, I think when I watch TV like you do, and I look at the newspaper, and I listen to news, and whatever, however you get information, I see kind of this abuse of signs, both in the sacred and in the secular world. There's an abuse. It's a moneymaker. Give me, give me a break. There's, I mean, when you capitalize on people's fear, when you capitalize on people's concerns, when you, when you talk about the future, we want to know about it. And so there, there has been this capitalization. There's also been some good and bad when it comes to science. There's been some good things take place, both in the secular and in the sacred world. But I want you to know uh, that, it, that it's part of God's plan to build your faith with science, not to destroy it. It's not God's plan for you to be fearful because of science or for you to be arrogant because of science or you to be browbeat or a browbeator because of signs. It's not what God intended. He, he intended, them, intended them for like everything else in the Bible to build your faith and trust in Him. I gave a misquote on a stat last week, and I want to correct that. It really fits well with this message. Stats sometimes get jumbled, and I forget numbers, and I kind of skew them. And Same way with the Bible. I, there's a lot of scriptures I can quote, and the numbers just don't stick for me sometimes. So I want to, I want to clarify this. There's almost a thousand prophecies in the Bible. 50% of them, 500 of them, have been fulfilled. 300 of those 500 were fulfilled when Jesus walked the earth, when he first came the first time. 33 of the 300 were fulfilled in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. The odds of that happening are 10 to the 17th power. I'm not great at chemistry or math, so I'm going to give you an example that maybe you can relate to like me. If you covered the state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep and you marked one of them with a red marker, threw a guy into Texas, blindfolded him, 
and he picked, bent down and picked up the very silver dollar that could be anywhere in the state, and silver dollars two feet high. That is the odds. That is the number uh, that, that represents 10 to the 17th power. You would have better odds of doing that than you would having those prophecies fulfilled. That is a, an astronomical, right? So that kind of gives you an idea. God's prophecies, know this, are always accurate. They're always precise, and they're specific. Most prophecies that are given outside of Jesus Christ, outside the Bible, are very generic. You know, it's like the, the, the guy that used to talk to dead people, the, the guy that, that, like me, needed braces on, on uh, the, the, your favorite sci-fi channel. Yes, Wiggum, your channel. You know, the, the things he said, you know, your mother saying, uh, live a good life. Really? I mean, wow, that's just brilliant. You know, I mean, that's cool. I'm seeing a great car. I'm seeing a great something. Is it a great shirt? Yep, it's a great shirt. You know, that kind of stuff. We always look at Notre Dame and like, oh, he's the one. But if you look at his prophecy fulfillment rate, even the one, if you give him some mulligans, because they were not clear, and they were misspellings, and they were there's just generic things where you could have picked any warring area of the world and picked, man, it is, it is ridiculous. God's prophecies are always specific. When he names a name, it's the name of the guy that he's naming. 250 years before, one prophet spoke of a King Cyrus. King Cyrus, come on the scene. God's always specific. God has a track record of accuracy and validity. And we and I just want you to know that. I'm not trying to defend God. He doesn't need defending. But as you just, because unless you're going to go count the stats, you just, that's just stuff we don't know. 500 prophecies so far fulfilled. There's a 1,000 of them in this book. 500 for 500 right now. God is batting. 500 for 500, man. He's, 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 he's lost nothing. He doesn't need any defending. Okay? I want you to know that. But, but, but sometimes we put scary music to things and have somebody really cool talk about things like, well, you know, Nostradamus, and it's like, real scary music. It just feels true. And sometimes you've got to pan out of the fear, pan out of the panic, pan out of that, that just, you know, clawing for something some kind of hope, and just say, let's look at the facts, all right? So I want you to check out some scripture with me, dealing with this end-time stuff, dealing with signs, dealing with end-time prophecies, like one precedes the other, so it's kind of like they're really close. Look at this, Matthew 16, verse 1. One day the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus. Pharisees were people that believed in the resurrection Sadducees were religious people. They were Pharisees, religious people, believed in a resurrection. Not necessarily Jesus, but a resurrection. Sadducees, religious people that didn't believe in a resurrection. So if you basically had uh, Jehovah Witnesses and Buddhists coming to Jesus kind of thing, all right? So there you go. Uh, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. He replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather. We say it red night, sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take morning. Didn't know that's in the Bible, right? Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign that I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Repent or perish, that's the sign. Then Jesus left them and went his way. Check this out in Mark 13. We're going to kind of jump back and forth if you're a Bible follower, you know, and not just if you're not on the screen, we're going to flip back and forth. Mark chapter 13, maybe. Mark chapter 13, check this out. 
Verse 3, later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple. Okay, I'm sorry, that's not the verse. Verse 4, I, I marked the wrong. Tell us, when will this happen? What sign will show us that these sign things are about to be fulfilled? Jesus replied, don't any, let anyone mislead you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. The end won't follow immediately. Nation will go against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world. This is a big one right now on the scene that people are questioning. As well as famines. We see that all over the place. But this is only the first of the birth pains. This is the beginning of sorrows, another version says, with more to come. Check out Matthew 24. I, I, just, I didn't want to read a whole chapter. I just got to give you some beliefs and we're going to tie it together. You can go back and look at these full chapters later. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And the good news, the gospel, the fact, what is that, Jay? That's the fact that Jesus died and was buried and rose again. That's the good news of the gospel. About the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Look at verse 37 with me. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in, in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up until the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So let's look at these verses again. Let's look at, uh, I'm sorry, okay, we looked at those. Let's look at back to Mark. I'm confusing me. Back to Mark 13, look at verse 32. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. So the ding-dong that's making predictions that December 21st, 2012 is the end of the world. You know, sorry. Jesus doesn't even know when that is. And I know that's the Mayan thing, but you can probably guarantee that's going to be the one day. It may be the day before or after, but it won't be that day that Jesus comes back. All right? And since you don't know when that will come, be on guard, stay alert. Only the Son himself, or not the Son himself, only the Father knows. The coming of the Son of Man, verse 34, can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he's left home, he gave each of his slaves or employees instructions about the work they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch. For you don't know when the master of the household will return, in the evening or at midnight or before dawn or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. Okay? Now, what do you have to realize about this passage as you look at these verses and you look at these, look at these two chapters? They represent, they represent different events. They represent different time periods. Uh, that Some of them are very closely linked. Some of them had double meaning for, the, for those disciples. Okay? Just a couple of those verses had double meaning. Some of them cover the rapture, the blessed hope. Rapture is a word for blessed hope that was invented in the 1800s. Some of them were about the Antichrist that we hear a lot about, the 666 stuff. Some of them were about the tribulation, once again, that kind of 666 stuff, left behind kind of thing. Some of them were about the second coming of Christ. So you've got different things going on here. They're not necessarily in chronological order. There's other key signs and prophecies about what Jesus was talking about. In other passages of Scripture, I just want to give you some of those so you can kind of tie them together in your mind. In the, last, in, the, in the last days, there will be a focus on the Middle East. Now, if you're under the age of 40, you don't know any different about this. Because since you've been a junior high or before grade school, or even since you've been in this world, the Middle East has been a hot focus of topic in the news. 
50 years ago, this is unimaginable. 60 years ago, the Middle East wasn't even on the map as far as people's minds and being concerned about the world. I mean, it was on the map, but it was not a concern globally. You've got globalization with all of this stuff, and we saw that. I saw this when I was in manufacturing. Those of you in business know this, that you compete on a globalized market scale. It's unbelievable. There's all kinds of talk in the news, this is a Christian people, about a new world order, that there would be this, that there, you know, there's going to be this thing we need to kind of pull everybody together under one banner. The Bible does talk about that. It talks about that in the last days, there would be one world government, one world economy, and believe it or not, this is, a, this is a absolutely unbelievable, one world religion. The Bible talks about a tribulation. Check this out. That some of you that are so worried, it begins with a peace treaty about, I don't know how many, I think two or three years of peace is going to be around. I think about that. One person, one government leader brings the whole world together. Well, you know, when President Obama got elected, they were accusing him of being this guy. No, it's not going to happen because these other signs have not taken place, right? But this, this tribulation that, that is, you know, is talked about. 2,500 years ago, a prophet wrote about an alliance between Russia Libya, Sudan, Iran, and Turkey. Of these five nations, four of them, they all are developing strong alliances. Four of them are Islamic nations that are closely tied and becoming even more men. And we've seen that on the news play out from, from our whole, you know, the war on terror and all that. We've watched that play out for ourselves. Russia, not an Islamic nation. But I have a friend that's a missionary over there. I'm not trying to scare you. He's telling, him, telling you what he told me at P.F. Chang's when I was in Ohio. He said, listen, man, over there, communism left, you know, was wiped out. And they've got all this freedom now. But they have no food. And they have no, they have no jobs. And if you listen to the old timers, he said, over there, he said, you will hear them talk about that, that how better, much better things were when they were a communist nation. At least they had a place to work. So as, as economic decimation begins to, and this is just me talking, this is not Bible, but you can see how economic decimation would cause maybe Russia to join with these other four nations that are more prosperous and even have a different religious bent than they would care about. All of these are shadows. All of these are buds on a tree that summer is coming, but none of them have taken place. We think that they're being fulfilled. We're saying that what we just read, even though it feels like hot topic in the news, is for us still speculation. Because it may go on another 20 or 30 or 40 years. We don't know. Jesus said, you don't know when this is going to take place. Here are the things that you need to concern yourself about with when it comes to signs. Number one, that Jesus rose from the dead. The moment Jesus rose from the dead, the end of time can happen from any, any point of that time forward. It doesn't have to be when God calls the church out, when it begins the last age. Just know that. But a big piece of prophecy that we have watched take place is this, is that Israel became a nation in 1948. For all those, that's called the Gog or Magog alliance that you talked, when we talked about that Turkey, that one day will try to invade Israel. Well, for them to invade Israel, Israel had to be a nation. I mean, when people were born in the 20s and 30s, my grandmother was a Christian, she was born in 1911. They could not fathom, even though they heard about prophecies, they couldn't fathom that it was that close. They couldn't fathom that it could take place in a generation. 
I mean, they knew that God could come any time. Those people that were serious students of the Bible knew that Hitler was not the Antichrist, even though he made a you know great fake Antichrist, right? People knew that Napoleon was not the Antichrist. People knew that, that the Caesars of Rome, serious students of prophecy, were not the Antichrist. And just like us today, we try to, you know, personify or, or vilify someone or, you know, just to kind of, we just want a reference, man. We want hope. We're just trying to find, you know, can we prove something in the Scriptures? We'll see that in a little bit. But Israel becoming a nation kicks everything into kind of a, a different state. I don't want to say it's faster because I don't know that. But with, with Israel solidifying the, their, themselves, especially with the Yom Kippur War in 1967, you know, it, it, prophecy began to be on a buzz. You look at the early 70s, a lot of books after that Yom Kippur War about prophecy. We've watched regimes come and go with the Cold War, so we don't know. But, but in my opinion, you take it for what it's worth, I think the stage is being set really well. That being said, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm watching for the Lord, but I'm not living in my house worried about what's taking place in the world. I don't like what's taking place in a lot of places, but that, that doesn't drive my life. So with signs, here's what you've got to remember. Biblical principle from the Word of God, Jesus was teaching it. Check this out. Signs are meant for preparation, not fascination or speculation. Signs, it's a lot of blah, 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 right? Signs are meant for preparation not fascination or speculation. Anything other than kingdom work and personal inventory waters down prophecies. One of the things that I detest about Christians, I'm a Christian, one of the things I don't like about being a Christian are all the prophecy people that freak everybody out. Every time there's a missile fired, every time there's a war, every time somebody goes hungry, every time there's an invasion, every time there's an earthquake, they're ready to go, you know, to go, go to the hills, live in the bunker until Jesus comes back. And they talk about it. And they browbeat people with it. Let me tell you this. Those signs are given not to be speculated on, not to even confirm. You're going to see this in a moment to confirm something in the Scripture. They are meant for you and I to prepare. From the moment that Jesus rose from the dead, the second coming of Christ was imminent. You can read it all through the Scriptures. They expected it in their generation. And I'm not pushing back that it can't happen. I think we're closer than it's probably ever been, personally. That's my personal belief. I can't prove it from Scripture. But signs are meant for preparation, not fascination or speculation. And anything other than kingdom work and personal inventory, we're going to watch this play out, waters down. I mean, if you hear every time somebody stubs their toe, Jesus come back, Jesus come back, well, daddy, devil, that, but Jesus come back, oh, but Jesus come back. You don't even get to like, whatever, Right? It begins to water it down. It's been used with fear. It's been used, and I'm not against the movies and all that as much as I pick on them and have fun with it. But listen, man, that was not what it was about. It was about reminding people that, listen, Jesus is coming back. Be prepared. And whether we hide in fear or or we hide in laziness doesn't stop or change what's taking place. One of the cool things about this series for me was there were verses that I could never quite understand, even though they're spelled out, and when I read them, I kind of, I missed this, I read these chapters so many times, but with the coming of the Son of, you know, man, it'll be like in the days of Noah, 
And I really complicated that, that passage. So I would look back at the Old Testament, I'd say the New, and I'd look at, I would look, you know, kind of like, I would look at uh, culture, and I'd be trying to find relationally, and it's because the divorce rate was high, there's no value on life. And there were some valid things, I think, in that. But this is what I realized. Listen, the, the Noah example is not, Jamie, for you. After years, I mean, I've really pondered on this passage. This has been one of those, anybody ever that's read the Bible or read the Bible, you've got this passage that don't make sense, and like one day you'll be like, Jesus, what's this mean? It's really confusing. I've got those in my life. And so I'm reading this thing, and I'm like, this, this is what the signs of Noah are about. It's not the flood. We know that from the rainbow example. We'll talk about that next week. You don't have to worry. You know, the day after tomorrow, that's not going to happen. Do you know that? That's not going to destroy the world. Let me say it again. A flood is not going to destroy the world. God promised that back in Genesis. But here's the thing. Signs are meant for preparation. See, I was fascinated with the cultural connections between those two passages. I speculated so much time that I wish I had back even playing video games, because I was wasting my time. Signs are meant for preparation, not fascination or speculation. Signs are not meant to, to, uh, you know, wow you. God doesn't care about wowing you with signs and validating himself. He does not care if you feel validated by putting the prophetic signs together. Well, I put that piece on Fox News, that piece on CNN, with the Bible. God doesn't care about that. I don't mean to burst your bubble. That may make you feel great. You share it with your buddies at work. God doesn't care about that. He cares about a personal connection to every person, and he cares that you become active after you accept Christ for him. Let me give you a perfect example of that. It's, it's every person's life. The moment that you are born, you begin to die. The moment that you are born, every day is one step closer to eternity for you when you face God face-to-face and when you, when you face your life face to face, it's, it's just one day closer. What have you done with Jesus? And God's greatest desire is not for you and I to live in regret or to count the days that we've messed up or to see what we've missed out on. It is for every life to come to the realization, whether they're 7 or 17 or 27, doesn't matter, 57, when you say, look, I realize that something is missing in my life. I see in the Bible that God loved me enough to give his son for me. That he actually died and rose again for my sins. And in a moment of faith, you bow your heart and you bow your your life to Jesus Christ and you invite him in. That's what he cares about. And then from that connection, you live every day after that making a difference. The Bible nor the Lord Jesus need current events to match to be validated. Bible's accuracy is 500 out of 500. We talked about that. Prophecy spanning thousands of years with people that have no connection. Now, you know, it's not like, hey, here's, a, you know, here's a, an internet blog that I read and I back and act like God spoke to us. Nothing like that. They, I mean, it's unbelievable how the Bible came to be. Collaboration with cultures and times and, and eras and non-believers and believers, how God preserved it. Jesus rose from the dead. Do you, and just honestly, do we really think that when he rose from the dead, his biggest concern, do I have that little toy I do? His biggest concern is, oh man, will this verse fit in USA Today 2011? How many people remember the, the old school version of this thing here? It's got little shapes and stuff in it. So uh, they said that it would be easy. There you go. It would, how many people remember this kind of stuff? Remember the blue and red thing? And he, like, you know, it had, uh, our, that's one of my first memories as a kid, 
not being able to figure that out. Like, you know, that's that's a bad first memory. The other one's my dad calling me a sissy when I caught a carp bigger than me, you know. So those are really good moments that came out in counseling. But anyways, one of those one of those things, right? And I remember putting it, now, now to be fair, by ninth or 10th grade, dude, I had mastered the red and blue ball, okay, putting the shapes in. I had that thing down. I know, I'm a genius, right? But this little thing here. And what I, you know, what we do with prophecy is so many times we, we take uh, the Bible, we take current events. It doesn't work. Well, this thing must not work. But what we should do is say, here's a current event. Here's the thing that determines whether it works or not, the Bible. And we say, you know, here's a current event, and this is really frightening me. Oh, I don't have to worry about that because I put my faith in Christ. Oh, here's a current event, and, and, and this one is really concerning to me. It's, it's, it's really disconcerting even. And I wonder if this fits. Okay, yeah, this fits. So what do I do with that, God? Do I live in fear? No. God says you, you take that with a sign that matches or don't, and you prepare you remind yourself, I've got this individual evaluation that I've got to do with my life, and I've got this life that I've got to live for Jesus Christ. So rather than bring the Bible, we do the opposite. Or bring the current event to the Bible, we bring the Bible and say, listen, the current event can rock or fall on this thing, but the Bible stands. We talk about signs. you guys feel this? I just feel this, and I don't know, maybe you don't ever talk about it. Maybe it's just my job. But I always feel like with prophecy, as soon as you mention it, but there's this weirdness factor with it, you know? Like when I talk about my time in fundamental colleges, fundamental Baptist colleges, I always feel like when I talk to someone that's never accepted Christ or they didn't grow up that way, when I talk about the crazy, just wild-eyed stuff that went in there, on in there from incest to abuse and spiritual abuse in the name of Jesus Christ, I always feel like they're looking at me like, Wow, this guy escaped from the compound in Waco, Texas. You know, this it's a mirror. I always feel really stupid talking about it. And, and I do that with prophecy, too. I kind of like there's this weirdness scale. Like, you're either Sid and Marty Croft weird, you know what I mean? Like, everything's kind of LSD trippish, or wearing boots in Florida at the beach weird. Like, you know, it's like kind of awkward. And, hey, there's a guy that loves prophecy. He's got boots on with his swimming trunks. Kind of like creepy uncle. Do you pick creepy uncle or creepy aunt? You know, creepy uncle, creepy aunt. She's got this, you know, Avon smell kind of rocking, and she's real weird, and her lipstick's up too high. But, you know, you always have this weirdness factor with prophecy, and God does not want that. doesn't want you to be frightened. doesn't want you to be scared out of your mind. He wants you to come to these signs, and he wants you to let it build your faith. He wants you to come to a crossroads and let it build your faith. He wants you to come from a failure. And let him use it to build your faith. He wants you to come from a success and let him use that to build your faith. Signs are another thing that God wants you to use to personally stop and say, okay, Jesus, how are we? How are we doing? A perfect sign is when you get up every day. It's a sign that God is crazy about you and giving you one more shot at the title. To make a difference. To be the difference. To be to be him. Great, you know, your mercy is new every morning, Lamentations 3 says. Great is your faithfulness to God. Great is your faithfulness. So you've got a sign every day when you hit that alarm clock or your kids are breathing bad breath in your face looking for breakfast. You have a sign every day. And God says, I want you to take that sign and I want you to do self-evaluation. And then I want you to use your life to make a difference. So you're sitting here and say, okay, Jay, 
put this where the metal hits the meat, where the rubber hits the road. What do I do with this? Well, if you're a non-Christian, if you're you know a non-Christ follower, religious or irreligious, is irrelevant. If you don't know Jesus, what you do is you look at the sign. Even if, if there's fear or a desire for love, it doesn't matter. G22 and 23, those are okay. Fear, sometimes godly fear leads you to turn around. And sometimes the love of God leads you to turn around. Both are okay. We're not talking about shame. We're not talking about false guilt. We're talking about godly fear. A fear of, of the almighty Lord Jesus Christ so much that you're like, wow, I, I'm going to turn and I'm going to follow you. But Jesus would say to you, if you're not a Christ follower, doesn't matter if you believe in the cosmos or Christ or not up until this moment, that you realize Jesus died and was buried and rose again for you. You realize that he's God. And realizing that now in a moment of belief, you call upon him and ask him to be your Savior. You call upon him and say, God, forgive me. Be a part of my life. I give you my life. I turn it all over to you. For some of us, it's not the cosmos Christ thing. It's lordship. Who's going to be the Lord of your life? I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to live my way. I'm going to live. I had a, I had a dream the other night. I, was, I dreamed that I was, I dreamt that I was with some friends from high school. And, you know, one of those dreams where you actually have all your clothes on. So I really paid it to usually. I don't have my clothes on. Here we go again. But, you know, I'm sitting in class in my underwear and I haven't got my paper done. And I haven't been in high school in 22 years, right? But, you know, you still have those dreams. And, so, and it happened a lot. You know, a lot of us would school their pants off and, you know, and down or whatever. So, but anyways, I had this dream, and I remember this one guy that was always kind of belligerent. And he had really just contacted me on Facebook. And somebody asked in the dream something about belief. And, and it was just a moment. He'd come around the corner in this dream, and he said, I don't believe that at all. My heart just broke for him, but it reminded me of the way he was even You're like my friend, and it's a lordship issue. Jesus says, I can do this better than you. You say, what's the proof, Jesus? All I've ever seen is hypocrisy and phoniness and the church taking from people. And Jesus would say this, I rose again, and I died for you personally, as if you were the only one. Jesus said, surrender to me. Not because you have to because he loves you. Say, Jay, I got this, man. I'm a Christ follower. You know, I've got this down. I know the message. I'm a believer. Here's what I think Jesus would say to you. 1 Pete 4, verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Isn't this amazing? This is like life point. Amazingly. Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you will you, you, you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ and all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. 
here's the way we say this at LifePoint. We just kind of, we, we took kind of some things and everything was kind of confusing. We said this. What do we want to be about at LifePoint? We want to be about this passage. Okay, let's just translate it into everyday language. What are essential things to help a Christ follower mature and be effective? Let's cut out the fluff. Let's cut out the things that, the, let's not use this stage as a guilt-shaming situation. Let's not use this to just people as chess pieces to fulfill our own desires. What is every church supposed to be about? What are the things that every church, doesn't matter the way they do them, it's that they're supposed to be about those things. It doesn't matter if they have Sunday school or small groups, it's not about that. It's about the principle behind that. It's not about a Sunday service with a Sunday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, early, late, and time for the football games after the football. That's irrelevant. It's that you gather. And let's take these essentials and let's make it really simple. Because most of us want to come and we want to sit and we want to be fed. This is just human nature. So we sit and we, we, you know, we want to be wowed with something we've never heard as Christ followers. We want to hear something said the way we've never heard it said. But that doesn't change the world. Creativity is wonderful. We are blessed immensely with creativity. You see it on the stage every week before I speak. You see it while I'm speaking with Chris, uh, Chris Wiggum back there. The sound guy's making this thing pristine with, with such little work. The lights like Doug Hunt. I mean, you, you, you get to see it. But all of this is irrelevant if, if it's not about bringing people to Jesus Christ. And then the next step is after those people are brought to Jesus Christ, becoming a part of making a difference. Here's what we've coined with this passage. Discover Jesus, you'll be Jesus. You discover Jesus personally. How do you do that? You do that in prayer. You do that in, in Bible ingestion. You, you do that, and I know this is the South where the preachers is only supposed to preach, and, you know, it's amazing how the South functions like 15th century, where the church is the only one that have the Bible, and then we show the Bible, and we read the Bible, and that's enough. It's not enough. This thing requires a personal evaluation where you say, God, I am going to know you, and the only way I'm going to know you is by ingesting the Bible, whether listening to it, hearing it on podcast, having it read, reading it myself, having someone else read it to me if I'm, if I'm blind, braille, reading with my fingers. But I've got to ingest the Bible, and I've got to talk to God. I've got to jump this, this, this ramp over shame, over fear, over not understanding it, over confusion of, through books and pastors and TV preachers, and I've got to talk to you. And God, I don't like to get up, and I don't like to stay out, but I'm going to gather with people that are, that are wanting to make a difference with, with, for you. I've got to feed myself. And then, God, I, I've got to personally invest and invite. I've got to have strategic relationships around me. God, you know that I've got this sinful past, or you know that I've got this church past. Both of them are detrimental to, to helping people find Christ for most of us. Because those of us with sin past, heavy sin past, we don't want to be around people that are lost because we don't want to go back to that lifestyle. Those of us that are heavy church past, we don't even know there's lost people outside us because everybody we know has fish signs, says praise the Lord, and goes to a church. It's just different denominations. And God says you've got to step around both those bubbles of shame and embarrassment and frustration, and you've got to make a difference. You've got to invest in relationships, and you've got to help them invite them to me. That's why LifePoint creates the environments we do to help people discover Jesus Christ. 
And then as you're doing that personally, another essential, Paul mentioned it in there, is, is impacting your world. You've got to, and I've got to, if we're gonna, if we're gonna mature, we're gonna grow, we're gonna follow Jesus Christ, whatever term makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside, you've got and I've got to impact our world. And some of those people are frustrating, and some of those people are broken, and some of those people are beautiful, and some of those people are not so beautiful. Some of those people are divorced, some of those people are married, some of those people are homosexuals, some of those people are promiscuous, some of them are religious and judgmental and arrogant, and God says, listen, I have placed you there to serve them and make a difference. But if you look at this one another piece as we gather, there is an element of serving that is us serving one another. Every week, our tech guys, our kids workers, our greeters are serving us every week, making a difference. I mean, how, how, how amazing is it that we don't have 40 crying babies in here? Thank God for the nursery workers, man. I mean, we, I thank God for them because I could not do my job. I would have to wear earplugs and uh, pre-prime plexiglass in a soundproof box. I, it would drive me crazy. But making a difference, impacting our worlds. Another thing that we've discovered, it's in here, is to give biblically. It's something we don't like talking about. It's something the church gets accused of being all about. But giving our time, giving our talent, giving our treasure, one doesn't make up for the other. Did you know that? You can give all the talent you want to Christ. If you don't give your finances, you're still not going to mature spiritually. Why don't we know that's the church? No, it's, it has nothing to do with the church. It has nothing to do with the pastor and staff or the team member you don't like. It has to do with your lack of faith. Your faith level either says, I'm a Christ follower. If you're not a Christ follower, just plug your ears. You don't need to hear this. It's just going to confuse you. You just worry about accepting Jesus. If you're a Christ follower, you really need to be concerned about how you obey Christ in in every area of your life. And if you don't tithe, then you're disobeying God. And God cannot bless your finances. I wish he would. And you're always going to have a stumbling block in your personal life. I I didn't make up the rules. I didn't make up the heart tie. I, you know, like I look at some, you know, God says sin's all the same, right? I mean, sin is sin. Lying is sin, and this is sin. But God punishes and rewards sins different. Doesn't it seem that way? I mean, I've lied a bunch of times, and I've never gotten a venereal disease, you know? I've lied a lot, and they're like, oh, we got PD, and, you know, hey, you know, I need some penicillin. I've been lying a lot, right? It's just kind of weird. There is an element to cash that controls your faith if you don't tithe. And it's because God doesn't have your heart. Can I be really personal today? about the cash piece, not the other, okay? <laughs> Got something to confess now. <laughs> chill out, okay? All the people are like, oh my God, don't let him do it. No, let's chill out. No, I'm not. No, I'm going to go there. Today I got up and on my way here, I was frustrated. And I said, God, why am I frustrated? I get to stand up and speak. I remember why I didn't get to do this every week. I dreamed of it every day. I remember when I was in another place wanting to be in this place. Didn't know I wanted to be in this place, but this is the place I'm supposed to be. And God revealed this to me. You pray for me about this, because this is a struggle for me. I put my faith in men too much. I worry about the offering to the point that I don't trust Jesus. Even when the offerings are good. 
God said, and he just began to list a list of people in this church that give faithfully. And I'm so grateful for it. And he said, none of them are the source of your strength. You don't trust me enough in this area. I have blessed you. I've taken care of you. I've done miracles for you in the ministry in this area. And he has. Before we launched, wife went in a $60,000 note left over from other baggage that actually had nothing to do with my leadership. And God erased that. God in our first ministry had a building in our first ministry had a building given to us, and they wrote us a check for $26,000 and emptied out their checking account for us to do ministry, for for that church, New Horizons, to do ministry. And this thing still keeps coming up for me. I trust him in my personal life. I really do. You can pull the books anytime and see the giving record. I'm always one of the top givers. We more than tithe. But see, as you grow risk becomes higher. What used to be a struggle to tithe a $200 check or a $500 check or an $800 check or whatever the case may be, God evaporated all that when we first got married and even before that for me for the most part. But trusting him at the next level has been very difficult for me. So I'm very pragmatic and very business oriented. I get, I get frustrated with the numbers. And so this isn't just you, this is me. God wants us to give biblically. And giving biblically at its heart is giving by faith. It's giving by faith. And the last thing that Paul talked about was multiplying the mission. Jesus Christ has a holistic approach to you and I. Because Dutton, I mean, seriously, Dutton reaching the world sound overwhelming. I mean, it's like, oh gosh, our church runs like 300 and we're four years old. It's like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to be a part of this? But each one investing in another person who invests in another person who invests in another person is God's model. And so when you have one person impacting the world and, and walking with Jesus Christ and giving biblically and investing and inviting, and they get together, because it's part of that gathering thing, with someone who's investing, inviting, and giving biblically, and, and, and feeding themselves, and, and, and on and on. See how it goes? I mean, you get that multiplication factor going. But then at some point, you've got all these people together. We all love perfect plans with perfect lists. That God has never operated for me that way. If you're in our church, you love perfect plans and perfect lists. I really want to encourage you with all my heart to go to another church where you're not frustrated. And I love you as you go, and I, and I won't be mad at you. Because there's this element of faith for me that's always this cloud, like a Polaroid developing, that I wish you would make really clear and give me the list, I just give you the list, but that doesn't require a lot of faith. So he reveals things, and we try our best to facilitate or organize around it. We, don't, we always mess it up because we're human. But there comes a point when you've gathered enough people that you begin to send out. And it breaks up the family feel. And there's people you don't see every week. It has the potential of hurting the momentum because there's not as many people in the auditorium and we want to project this element of success and all of the silliness that we measure 
our, uh, the ministry by that they don't in Uruguay or Haiti or Guam or Kyrgyzstan or the USSR or England. It's an American thing. We've got to be successful so we can write a book and brag on ourselves. And we can brag on all our friends that we have the best, we are the best. It's, just, it's, it's Americanism at its worst. And you know what? In my heart, I want the big building. I want the big campus if God wants it, but I want the little campuses if God wants it. I want what Jesus wants. But however we do it, and I'm just this is kind of a heads up as we move into the future, we are going to start other churches and other campuses as God allows won't be perfect and pretty. Some of your friends may go and you may want to stay and that's cool. But we do it to multiply the mission. So as you watch Fox News and you are scared to death that the next earthquake is going to be in that Ohio fault line right down to our river and it's going to flood you out, it's going to ruin your car, and you're, you know, you're, you're going to be scared to death, you're going to be a scary movie. So let's just stop. Just remember the signs are for you and I. Flesh it again, Chris. Signs are this. Signs are meant for preparation. Not speculation or fascination. And I'll go a step further. If you can challenge this, email me. Or destruction. God doesn't want to destroy people. We bear the repercussion of our sin many times. But none of those things. Signs are meant not to frighten you. But just for you to stop and say, oh, oh there's a sign. Does, it, does this fit in the Bible? Does the Bible? Okay, here's my authority. Does that fit? Okay, it does fit. Okay, Jesus, let me stop. Are you and I cool? Are you and I walking together? Okay, there's this thing I need to get rid of. There's this thing I need to add. Or this thing I need to praise you for. Thank you for just loving me. And then I look at this collective thing. I step outside myself and I say, okay, outside of my happiness and whatever, my bitterness or fear, my excitement or whatever, I say, am I being a part of multiplying the mission am I, you know, my past is saying no my present is saying no, my paycheck is saying no but God, I believe in you and I step out by faith and I believe and I hold on to you that's what signs are for 